But Daniel's going to be teaching out of Philippians chapter 1, and we're continuing in our series, uh, Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. So you can grab a Bible in front of you and turn to page 1672. As you do that, please welcome my friend Daniel Grothy. Good morning, Cornerstone. You can talk to me. Good morning. In my house, it's impolite not to talk back. No, I'm just kidding. I am thrilled to be here today. Uh, I look across this room and see so many faces of people that I know and love. Uh, ben and Noel Kilgore leading us in worship. You, I, I don't know if you know this. You are so blessed here at Cornerstone Church to have the people that you have. I, I played in a band with Ben when I was 13 years old, 14 years old, 25 years ago, known these guys. Noel, 20 years ago, met her, and uh, John, this is not some sort of mutual admiration society where he has to say nice things about me and I have to say nice things about him. I would not stand here and lie to you, but when I think of decency and honor and integrity and someone who follows the Lord, heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think of John Odom. And so, bless you, John. Thank you for having me here today. I'm looking across the room. I see people. I see the counselor who did our premarital counseling, Lisa and I, 17 years ago. And uh, Tulsa, I'm a Tulsa boy, so uh, it's great to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, Philippians 1, 27 through 30, what I'll do is I'll read this text, it's four verses, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you physically or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the word. And from before all creation, out of the Father's mouth, there was that great let there be. And we pray today that you would do that again. Let there be light. Do a miracle of recreation here. Make us your people afresh. Raise us up out of the chaos, the darkness, the deep. And Lord, bring us into the way of everlasting life. Speak to us, touch us, walk these rows, walk our hearts. Make us your people today. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen. Paul planted this church with Timothy in Philippi, Greece. So he's writing to the Philippians. You're doing a series through this book. So he's writing to these people in Greece, and this is about 50 AD, we'll call it, that he goes to establish this church. So think Jesus will say 33 AD, Jesus is 
raised, right? You know, Jesus is raised. And Paul in 50 ends up over in Greece. So that's over in Jerusalem. He goes around the Mediterranean with the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And these people in this small group of people in this majority culture, they're a minority group in a majority culture, he starts telling them what it looks like to be Christian. So that's 50. Then he writes this letter about 12 years later. He goes on to plant other churches, and he keeps checking back in and writing them letters. So he writes them this letter in about 62 AD, and he's strengthening them in the faith. He's telling them to keep going. But he's writing from a Roman prison to tell the good news of Jesus Christ for Paul has been costly. And he's writing from a Roman prison to tell them, hey, I know it's bleak, I know it's difficult, trust me, I'm down here in this dungeon. God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, keep going. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord, Caesar is not, keep going. So he writes them this letter, and I want to put in front of you three things today, three phrases that stand out to me from the text we've just read. Phrase number one in verse 27, he says, whatever happens... Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, as I said, grew up here as a Tulsa boy, and I cherish my upbringing here. My dad grew up as a Tulsa boy and lived here for 52 years until he moved to Colorado Springs 13 years ago. And Tulsa's in my blood. I, I walked, I mean, I'm looking at buildings literally out this window, Impact Productions. I used to go play drums in that building for morning chapels. And Ted and Debbie's Flower, you know, right next to them. I went to school with the Wilsons. Just good people. All these streets mean something to me. My grandpa Grothy worked right down 41st in Yale where the OU Schusterman Center is. It used to be oil place. He's an oil man. And so all these streets matter to me, and Tulsa has been this, like, sacred canopy under which I grew up, and good parents, loved my parents, and grew up in church here, and played sports here against the Odom boys, and music here with the Kilgores, and 16 years ago uh, next week, Lisa and I got married here in Tulsa, 31st and Sheridan, and went to Mexico for a week and came back and threw the very few things that we owned in the back of a Penske truck and drove to Colorado Springs. Go work at New Life Church. So we'd been married 12 days. We pull into Colorado Springs. We don't know anybody. We don't know anything. But we're living on love and $30,000 a year. And we're fine. You know, we'll just make it happen. and Get our first little apartment. And we're so excited about the possibilities. And the church we were coming to was on top of the world. I say this tongue-in-cheek. I say this was a, a great sense of God forgive us for those days. But our church was thriving, and, and our pastor was the, uh, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30-million member group in the United States. And whenever Congress was debating issues or the, the news media wanted to know what do Christians think, they would call us. And we would have press releases and press conferences. And when Mel Gibson released The Passion of the Christ, he flew out on a private jet to New Life Church. And he came and he released it there to 3,000 pastors who were there for our conference. And it was intoxicating. And we interviewed Mel up on the stage. And it was so much fun. And, and George W. Bush Skyped in when he was president to our pastor's conference. Like, when I tell you we were on top of the world, that's how it felt. There was so much good going on. 14,000-member church, and we were just knocking it down until we weren't. 
And we lost our senior pastor to a major scandal that was on the front page of not only of every American paper, but every international paper. Salacious, heartbreaking, and our church that was flying high. We discovered in that time that we were $26.5 million in debt. And now it's 2007, 2008, and the global economy's tanking. We lose 35% of our church overnight, people just leaving. Then the economy drops. We're $26.5 million in debt. We had to fire 44 staff members overnight. It was just heartbreaking. It just it kept getting worse. We get a new senior pastor 10 months after we lose our founding senior pastor, and he flies in from Dallas and comes and... He's there on the job, and it's a terrible job that he's taken over, but he's willing to do it. And three months in, we're starting to feel the wind shift to our back again, and the Spirit is moving with us, and we're starting to rebuild trust, and like, maybe this thing, maybe we can make it. And on his 100th day, it was a Sunday morning, 100th day in the job. Uh, Sunday morning, we just finished our second service, and there's kids in the room, so I'll try to be discreet here, but we're, we're standing in the children's hallway I am and people are leaving and all of a sudden you hear the worst sound you could ever imagine hearing in a church or anywhere AR-15 the gunman comes on campus thousand rounds of ammunition kills two teenage girls in the parking lot storms in our children's hallway and he's shooting I run into our senior pastor's office and I said, there's a shooter on campus, and I dive under his desk. Security guard stops him in the hallway, and he ends up taking his own life in our children's hallway. Double murder, suicide, Sunday morning. <sighs> like, it, it, when is it going to stop? We didn't think it could get any worse. And I remember sitting in the back of a police car with our senior pastor on his 100th day. And he looks over at me, it's snowing outside, it's cold, so they crank up the heater so we can warm up before we go stand in front of cameras to say what happened today. There's helicopters flying over us, filming us. And my senior pastor looks over at me, and he's still trying to remember my name, and I'm trying to remember his name. And he goes, I guess all the easy jobs were taken, huh? You were going to laugh or you were going to cry in that moment. I remember reading Philippians 1.27 in this season of my life. What we just read. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember feeling in my bones that these are the seasons where saints are made. These are the moments where Christians become Christians. It's so counterintuitive to so much of what I heard right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What I heard, and I, again, I, I was made by this place. I love this place. But I heard so much glory to glory and strength to strength and the favor of the Lord. And it's, you know, blessed and high. it's all going to work. And then you get in these moments where it's not all working. And so you have to ask yourself these big questions. And I remember feeling in my bones, I think this is a season where a saint is made. And then I read Philippians 1.27 and Paul says, whatever happens... Because it's going to happen. Paul tells about his life, his missionary hardships in 2 Corinthians 11. 
He says, I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. This is beating you within an inch of your life. 39 stripes that Jesus took, 39 stripes that Paul took five times. 40 was considered a death sentence, so we'll get you right to the edge and then we'll stop. That happened to Paul five times. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. What? (laughs) Because he's going around the Mediterranean telling people Jesus is Lord. It was very costly for him to do this. He said, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger. You get the point. Whatever happens, even if you've got your bills paid, even if you know where next month's mortgage is going to come from, very often the, the, the fight, the, the struggle that we wrestle with is internal. It's invisible to the naked eye. And we're battered by mental health issues. And we're battered by relationship issues. And we're battered by, have you ever, do you read this and just go, yeah, whatever happens? Have you been there before? Paul says, keep on going. Follow Jesus. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. When I was younger, I thought that struggles were reserved for everyone but the saints. Now that I'm older, I think that it's the struggle that makes a saint. That's the first phrase that stands out. Whatever happens, keep going. Follow Jesus. This is a big call. So the question is, how do we do this? How can we endure? How can we make it? How can we last? The answer comes in Paul's next phrase. He says, Then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. What Paul says is, look around the room, keep going with these people. Striving together as one. Stand firm as one. When one of you is weak, the strong ones come around and lift up their arms and keep them walking forward. Help your people. Don't don't let them collapse along the way. And when you travel together as the body of Christ, stand firm together in the one spirit as one people. How did New Life Church make it through those years? And I'm talking about multiple years that felt like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We made it together, striving together as one. My dad grew up here in Tulsa, as I said, And he had fantastic parents. They just didn't know how to be married. Wonderful people. Like, dad would go over and do someone's landscaping and just do it for free because that's the guy who he was. Hardest working guy he'd ever met. Mom, incredible woman. They just didn't know how to be together. And so they they ended up having my dad later in life, their only child. And they brought him into their fight. And so my dad was a five-year-old boy in the kitchen. They'd be at the dinner table, and the dinner table would get turned over, and they'd be fighting and using utensils as weapons, and they'd burn each other with hot coffee and with hot irons. And my dad is five years old, trying to wrestle his parents off each other, saying, can't we just work this out? And he'd lay in bed, looking out his window at the Admiral Twin movie screen, right? Right down by the airport. My dad grew up right there. So he said, I'd put on the little shortwave radio, and I'd watch the movies for free from my bed, you know. 
And he said, but most nights I would cry myself to sleep saying, God, I just want a happy family. And he would walk to church. There was a church when he was nine years old. He'd walk to Sheridan Christian Center at 2nd and Sheridan down there. His parents never went, but they let him go. So he would walk over there. And someone on a Sunday saw this little nine-year-old boy walk in the back of the church by himself. And they go, hey, young, it was the worship leader, Vep Ellis Jr., who's still here in Tulsa to this day. Hey, young man, come here. During the band rehearsal, hey, who are you here with? Well, me. Oh, really? Why don't you come sit with my wife and me right here on the front row? We'd love to take you to lunch afterwards. Just, by the way, you have permission to notice people at church, right? To take care of one another. And they saw something that didn't look right. A nine-year-old boy by himself, and they took the lead. Come sit with us, and we'll feed you, and then we'll get you home, young man, after church. And so that became his family. Well, when my dad was 15... His dad called home, oil man. And when I say oil man, I mean like drilling wells out in the field, dirty oil man. And his dad said, I'll be late for dinner. Tell your mom you can eat without me. Later that night, they go to the front door. And there's a police officer. Is this the growthy home? Yes, it is. Can I come in? Please sit down. Tonight, your dad and eight other men were killed in an oil explosion. All nine of the men died down in the well. So my dad's 15, and his dad is now gone. It's him and mom. 19, my dad's a sophomore at ORU. She starts getting headaches, his mom. And she said, I think I should go see the doctor. Take her to the doctor. The doctor says, she's got a brain tumor. You've got two months to live. So my dad ushers his mom into her rest in his sophomore year, and then he's got this house to sell and cars to sell, and he's by himself, except he wasn't by himself. You know why? Because he had Sheridan Christian Center and all of the saints at that place. He had Vep Ellis and Frank Reeder, and I can go on and on and on, and all these people who took care of him as a young boy, Vep, the guy who saw him from the stage that day, stood with my parents and officiated their wedding. To this day, my dad will still come to town just to play golf with Vep and to spend time with him. And My dad has been flying in for the last many years, officiating the funerals of the saints who took care of him as a young boy at Sheridan Christian Center. And Paul says, stand firm together as one. If you're trying to be a, a, an individual following Jesus, you're not going to make it. <laughs> If you're trying to walk this road out as a, a lone ranger, you're not going to make it. But if you will come together as the body of Christ right here at 41st and Harvard, here at Cornerstone Tulsa, if you'll live a long obedience in the same direction with the same people, you'll look up decades from now and you'll see that you've made it. Stand firm together as one. We wrongly think that church is a place where I get my spiritual needs met and I come in and a lot, you know, honestly, in the first world west, a lot of times people treat the church like they treat a gym. The nicest building with the nicest equipment with the nicest classes and the best child care. I'm going to go there. Until the new place down the street three years later gets a nicer building and nicer equipment and nice. Like, the church is not a gym. The church is the body of Christ walking together over the decades as one. And so, cornerstone. Live this way together and tell me in 20 years... If you hate it, it's a beautiful gift that God has given you life together in the body of Christ. Sometimes I'll say it this way. Sometimes the most significant thing we can do 
is try to stay in one place with one people until we die. Stand firm together in the power of the one spirit and stand firm as one. These people in this room are the gift of God to you. These people will be your companions along the way. And if you do this together for the long haul, you'll make it. That's how New Life Church made it in the valley of the shadow of death and how we're making it today. And this is life in the body of Christ. The third phrase that stands out to me is this phrase. Paul says, do all of this without being frightened by those who oppose you. A lot of times if you watch the TV or the talking heads of you know, the Christian faith, a lot of times the sense that you get is that Christians are supposed to be fired up and loud and defensive and anxious. And when, you get, you know, when someone, this machismo, rah, you know, fight for Jesus. Think, think of the irony, though, of proclaiming the Prince of Peace while foaming at the mouth. Jesus is good. Ah. Trust me. You know, Christianity is the, the one true way. Ah. Like, show me on your face that it's good news. <laughs> like, help me believe that you believe that it's good news. Because right now, you think of the irony of proclaiming the good news with a furrowed brow. Think of the irony of weaponizing the Bible to sort of crowbar people into the kingdom. Like Paul says, whatever you do, like stay together and do it without being defensive. Do it without being worked up. Do it without being frightened by those who oppose you. I'll say it this way. We will be true witnesses of Jesus when we recover a non-combative, non-anxious presence in the world. The good news, Jesus Christ is risen. Walking into the coffee shop where you know these people think differently than you. And you just, you walk in with that sense of, it's okay, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to have his way on earth as it is in heaven. And my job is to love people. My job is to keep my eyes open. My job is to be generous. My job is to, to pray for those who are in need. My job is to be the encouraging word in the office. My job is to live as if Jesus has done the hard work and I can just draft in behind that. He says, whatever you do, do it without being frightened. And I sincerely think John Odom, your pastor, is one of the people that embody this deeply. He's wise, he's thoughtful, he's done his homework, he's got deep convictions, he's not going to be pushed over, but he's also not going to boil over in anger and lash out. He's done his work, he trusts Jesus, He's got a smile on his face. He's ready to give an answer for the hope that he has. But he's not going to do it in a way where someone else has to lose for him to win. Think about this. If someone else has to lose for you to win, everyone loses. <laughs> but if you can be gentle and kind and joyful and, and winsome with the gospel, people will start to see over the long haul that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus on the cross. He's not combative and angry. He's not lashing out at people. He's not telling, you're all stupid and you're all wrong. What does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus gives life to the world 
in the very last act of his earthly life before the resurrection. And we can be the same kind of people. Paul's writing to a people that are a minority in a majority culture. They're a small group of people, maybe 75 or 100 of them in Philippi. And he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't be frightened. Don't lash out. That's not the way the gospel goes forward. Be faithful. Take care of one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And let Jesus do the work of awakening the world to his goodness. When you're convinced of something that it's true, you're free to relax into the truthfulness of it. So Cornerstone family, today I say to you, life is going to happen. It's what you know. Paul says, whatever happens, however it goes, when it's good, receive the gift. When life is thriving and when you're on top of the mountain, receive the gift and enjoy it. And when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever happens to you, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Pain will come, but it won't last. Keep following Jesus. As those moments come, remember that God has given you the gift of each other. That the church body can stand with you and walk with you. That you can come together as the body of Christ and strive together as one, standing firm in the one spirit. And I will tell you, you will find over the decades that some of your greatest joy in life will be walking with the saints over the long haul. So I invite you, I call you today to commit once again to this long obedience with these same people. The third thing is don't be scared. You don't have to be frightened by those who oppose you. You don't have to be defensive. Open your hearts and open your homes. You know the way the gospel goes forward is through radical hospitality, through generosity of spirit, through people with open hearts, and open pocketbooks, and open homes. As you live this way, non-combative, non-anxious presence in the world, watch people slowly and consistently respond to the love of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, be like Jesus. Walk together, carry each other, and you don't have to be frightened. Jesus is going to make all things new. Can you say amen today? Let's bow our heads and quiet our hearts. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to live this way. We need your grace. And Lord, I pray over this congregation here at Cornerstone Tulsa. I pray that you'd make them a people who live this kind of story. That whatever happens, they live in a manner worthy of Jesus. That through all the seasons, they walk together and they carry each other's burdens, and they lift each other up. They become the body of Christ together. And Lord, I pray that you would bind and rebuke all fear. The enemy comes to make us scared and anxious. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to be a non-combative, non-anxious presence in the world. And Lord, I pray that we would look up 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line. And from this body of Christ, I pray that you would see salvation and healing and deliverance and new creation breaking out all around the Tulsa area wherever they go. And so, Lord, I pray over this congregation. Bless them. Keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, smile big and grant them peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.